Hello. Don't you think the Old Testament is a strange old world, full of terrifying and barbaric deeds and acts? For example, whole towns could be just wiped out, men, women and children. Whole tribes could be wiped out, men, women and children. People faced the death penalty for apparently small deeds. And God gave all kinds of strange rules to the people in the Old Testament. For example, he once said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, meaning if someone pokes your eye out, poke their eye out. If somebody knocks your tooth out, well, knock their tooth out. Why would God say that? And amidst all of this, there were many priests and sacrifices going on all the time. Thousands of priests offering sacrifices. And every day there'd be a sacrifice in the morning of a lamb and in the evening of a lamb. And there were many more sacrifices, often when people broke rules. It's almost like the God of the Old Testament is a different God, isn't it? Sometimes we feel that as Christians, that in the Old Testament, you've got this angry God stomping around who we have to sacrifice to. Whereas in the New Testament, we've got gentle Jesus, meek and mild, haven't we? And yet, in the midst of the Old Testament, of all this violence and apparent barbarism, and yet God frequently gives glimpses of where he's leading people to, of what he really wants for people, of what he really wants us to do, of how he really wants us to behave. So let me just uh, summarise some of those glimpses. For example, in 1 Samuel 15, uh, Saul, the king, the first king of Israel, has just won a battle, but he's been disobedient to God because he's, he's timed it wrong. So Samuel the prophet comes to see him and Saul has just sacrificed some animals as a kind of offering. And Samuel, who's angry with him because God's angry with him, replies to Saul, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed is better than the fat of rams. Or in Hosea chapter 6, the Lord says, God says, amidst all these sacrifices taking place, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. In Amos chapter 5, and Amos is possibly the foremost book in the Old Testament on social justice, God says, and this is really harsh, <clears throat> God says to the people, I hate I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. In other words, your worship stinks, says God. But let justice roll like a river, let right and righteousness like a never-failing stream. And then quite famously, in, uh, towards the end of the Old Testament, in Micah chapter 6, Micah says to the people, and what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So what do we make of this? This violent, kind of almost terrifying, barbaric background, and yet these little uh, odd verses that come up. Well, what we have to understand is the Old Testament is basically uh, an agreement, a covenant based on rules. It's a binding agreement that both sides must agree to. God makes an agreement and the people must make an agreement. Now, in life, we do have binding agreements, don't we? There are agreements that we come across throughout our lives. And many of us will have uh, come across these. For example, here's the uh, registry of title for my house when we bought the house that we live in now. 
Uh, it, it says that I own the house. And to get to this agreement, uh, the seller had to agree that the house wasn't going to immediately fall down. I had to agree that I could afford to pay for it. It's a binding agreement on us. Or here's another example. Here's a copy of my will. It's actually called a will and testament, isn't it? Last will and testament, just like the Old Testament, the old agreement. And, and that's also a binding agreement. It seems I'm worth more dead than alive on that one. Uh, but don't tell the wife. And thirdly, here's our marriage certificate, which is also an agreement that we both sign up to, a binding agreement, that we both commit to a new kind of living and we forego the old kind of living. Well, in the Old Testament, the binding agreement in a nutshell was pretty simple. God said to the people, I will be your God if you will be my people. If you follow me and are faithful to me, and, and put me at the centre of your, of your life, rather than these idols, if you worship me, I will be your God. I will take care of you. I will lead you to a new land. I will shepherd you. That's the agreement. So in this world of uh, strange laws and rules, in this very foreign world, God offers the people a binding agreement to sign up to. You see, God does that because God always meets people where they are. God meets us where, where they are. And in the Old Testament at that time, people were accustomed to sacrificing to idols, to objects. And God needed to move them on from that. So the first thing God says is, OK, stop taking all your grain offerings and your animal offerings to these objects and bring them to me instead, because I'm really God. But know this. Know this, there is a point I want to take you to in the future, which is different to this. So for now, bring your sacrifices, your worship in this way to me, follow these rules, but there will be something coming later. See, this agreement, the Old Testament, the Old Agreement, the Old Covenant, always had a use-by date, always had a shelf life. The writer N.T. Wright puts it really well. He says... Think of the Old Testament or the Old Agreement like this. It's like two booster rockets on the side of the space shuttle. Do you remember when the space shuttle was operational? It went up hundreds of times and we got used to seeing it, it's taking off. There'd be this narrow uh, orbiter, this narrow rocket, and either side would be these two huge booster rockets. The job of the booster rockets was simply to get the orbiter off the ground and away from the Earth's gravity. They only work for two minutes, providing huge thrust, but then they fall off. They fall away and they have to fall away or they'll weigh the whole thing, thing down. So after 20 miles, the booster rockets fall away. They've done their job. And then for, the, for days and weeks or even months, the actual mission of the shuttle is controlled by much smaller rocket thrusters. It's a bit like that with the old agreement. It, it did its job. It got people off the ground. It did... It got people out of the gravitational pull that they were pulling them back. But then it has to fall away. God always said there would be a new agreement. So with that uh, little introduction, we're going to read this passage, which is from Hebrews chapter 8, from verse 7, if you have a Bible. Uh, it's actually, this passage is actually a quotation from the old agreement, the old covenant. So it's in the new agreement, the new covenant. But it's the, Hebrew, the writer to the Hebrews quoting from the Old Covenant, from Jeremiah 31. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, just a health warning uh, as we come to this. 
kind of new, better than old idea that, that we sometimes come to, um, this passage, along with some other passages, has been greatly misused through history, greatly misused, sadly, by the church, by some Christians, to defend and propagate anti-Semitism. So chapters like this uh, were actually used to justify the murder of six million of Abraham's descendants in the war. So as we come to this, let's come to this with great humility and great care, not with any triumphalism. So let's read this passage together. Hebrews chapter 8 from verse 7. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord. And I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And so by calling this covenant new, he has made the old one obsolete and what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Let's just pray as we come to this. Heavenly Father, we come to this passage with great humility, but asking, Lord, that you would open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts. Lord, I pray, Lord, that these words that I speak today, that uh, if they are from me, Lord, that they would fall away. But the words that are from you, Lord, home them in people's hearts as they watch this, as they listen to this. Make it real, I pray in Jesus name. Amen. So that passage says to us, there was an old covenant, but now, now there's a new one. The new replaces the old. We can summarise it like this. Under the old agreement or the old covenant, there were many rules, many rules, not least the Ten Commandments. Um, for example, don't kill, don't uh, commit adultery, don't steal, keep the Sabbath. There were actually over 600 rules altogether, many rules under the old agreement. And there were many priests, thousands of priests, actually, in the old agreement. And they were needed because there was thousands of sacrifices taking place. There were sacrifices every day, sacrifices of grain, of cereal and sacrifices of animals every day. But in the new agreement that the writer refers to, and we'll talk about in a minute, in the new agreement, in the new covenant, that contrasts in every way. In the new agreement, there are only two rules now, not 600 odd. Love God, love the person next to you. Only two rules. Now, love God with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your heart, with all your might, and love your neighbour as yourself. Under the new agreement, there's only one priest which is Jesus, who brings us the new agreement. He brought the new agreement to us and he went to a cross to seal it. He died on a Roman cross, taking all the things that we've done wrong, all the things that we could do wrong, 
and defeating death in the process. Only one sacrifice in the new agreement, the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. So there's a contrast that um, from old agreement or old covenant, Old Testament, to the new agreement, new covenant, New Testament, many priests become one priest and many sacrifices become one single and perfect sacrifice. And this is the essence of the change from Old Testament to New Testament. But here's the exciting part. The exciting part is when we actually listen to what Jesus says about this new agreement. Uh, we see this replacement of old agreement by new agreement throughout the teachings of Jesus, threaded throughout. Jesus' teachings demonstrate to us that the old agreement relied on external conformance to the law. But the new agreement relies on internal transformation of the heart. So think about that. External conformance to the law and the old agreement. Internal transformation of the heart under the new agreement. Every word takes on its opposite meaning in that. And almost every teaching of Jesus demonstrates this idea where you move from um, help me to keep these external rules to change my heart. So I know how to keep the rules. Let's look at a couple of examples of where Jesus does this. This uh, juxtaposition, this comparison, this contrast of the new agreement against the old agreement, New Testament, Old Testament, is nowhere clearer, I think, than in Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. So it's to that place that we'll now go. So walk with me as we just go back to that uh, sermon, that famous uh, of all sermons in Matthew 5, 6 and 7. As we just look at some of the statements that Jesus made where he compares new with old. Here Jesus adopts a very impactful, a direct, a very blunt way of teaching. A very blunt way of speaking to people. So if you uh, want to hear some blunt teachings of Jesus, well listen up. He directly compares the old agreement with the new agreement. And he does it with a phrase that he uses every time. Every time. He says, you've heard that it was said something something like this but now i tell you something new you've heard that it was said this that's what was written in your law that's what you used to say that's what you used to teach but now i tell you this this is the replacement this is now where it's where it was always supposed to go he uses this idea to contrast his teaching with the old agreement teaching so a couple of examples from the sermon on the mount matthew chapter 5 jesus says You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. That was a rule, a rule that you had to keep. Don't commit adultery, external conformance to the law. But now I tell you, don't look lustfully at another woman. In your heart, you're starting to commit adultery. External conformance to the law, internal transformation of the heart. Jesus says after that, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbour, hate your enemy. Sounds reasonable, doesn't it? Sounds fair enough. I love the people who are around me in my tribe and we'll just hate them over there. But now I tell you, says Jesus, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. Because God loves all people, Jesus says. God sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, causes the sun to shine on the evil and the good. So again, external conformers to the law, love your neighbour, hate your enemy, tick the box to internal transformation of the heart. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. 
And uh, one I referred to earlier, in, again in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand and a foot for a foot. But now I tell you, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, offer them the left cheek. Let's just pause on this on both sides of that. External conformance to a law, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, we pay back to something quite different. Because it's tempting to think that the Old Covenant, the Old Testament itself was barbaric and somehow wrong. But it actually wasn't. It's tempting to, it, it, it was written into a barbaric world. But the Old Testament was actually moving people forward. Because what do we do with this uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, where uh, uh, God seems to be saying, if someone pokes your eye out, well, poke their eye out. Someone knocks your tooth out, well, knock their tooth out. Isn't that the opposite of what we teach our children, of how we're meant to behave? Isn't that encouraging violence? Well, no, from my reading, it's exactly the opposite. Listen to this, that the way people commonly lived at that time was barbaric. There's a, there are many episodes to show this, but just one in uh, Genesis 34. The sister of the 12 brothers of Israel is raped by the ruler of another tribe. He's, she's raped. So what do the brothers do to get justice? Do they, uh, do they drag that man out? No. Do they kill him? No. Do they kill his whole family? No. They actually go and they murder every male in that tribe. They put to death. They execute every male in that tribe. Most of them didn't do anything. 99.9% .9 didn't do a thing. But they're executed because that's how, that, how justice worked in that day. It was Darwinian. This tribe's a threat to us. What shall we do? Well, the best thing to do is just kill them. Kill all the males. Then we don't have to worry. So when God says... Uh, in, in Exodus 21, moving his people on, God says, no more killing the whole town. No more killing the whole tribe. No more of that. That's what you used to do. But no more. From now on, a new rule. It's just eye for eye and tooth for tooth. One life for one life. That's all you're allowed to do. So rather than being uh, Exodus 21, rather than it being uh, uh, a license to take revenge, it's actually a limit on retribution. Rather than being a license to get your own back, it's a limit on what you could do. And we might think, still think, well, that's still a bit barbaric. But compared to where people were, it wasn't. That's, that's what they needed. They needed to be moved on. If God had said to them then, um, if, uh, if uh, somebody kill, kills one in your tribe, just forgive them, they were not ready for that teaching. They would have gone, uh, we don't understand that. That can't possibly be right. That can't possibly make sense. So God says in Exodus 21, no more killing the whole town. From now on, an eye for an eye, that's, that's all you're allowed to do. And actually the whole of that chapter, look at it, Exodus 21, is all about, and is all about restricting retributive practices. And they have to get used to that. And then into this still violent damaged world comes Jesus with a new covenant and a new agreement who says right you've got used to that you've heard that you've heard that it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for tooth but now I'm telling you something new now I'm telling you no more love your neighbor hate your enemy but love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you because you're ready for this it's hard this teaching is hard it's still hard but you're ready for it now God meets people where they are and he's always moving them forward from where they are
And just the word on the second part of that verse where we said, an eye, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but now I tell you, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, offer them the left. Because that's often misunderstood as well. What, what does that mean? Well, look how much has been achieved in our, just in our day by peaceful protesters turning the other cheek. Not striking back, but not stepping back. Think, for example, about Nelson Mandela in uh, apartheid South Africa. He refused to strike back, but he also refused to step back. Or think about uh, Gandhi facing the British colonial powers in India in the 1940s. He said, I will not strike you in the way that you strike me. I refuse to strike you, but I will not step back. I refuse to step back. Or, or more recently in Northern Ireland, the Mothers for Justice, uh, before the Good Friday Agreement, these Mothers for Justice who'd all been bereaved, their sons and their husbands, their daughters in many cases, had been executed, been murdered. And they said, this is enough. From now on, this, this has got to change. We can't have this bomb for bomb, that for every atrocity, there has to be an equal and opposite atrocity. So they stood up and said, we refuse to kill your children. Our children have been killed. We refuse to kill yours, but we will not step back. We will not step back. People, this this uh, turning the other cheek is people saying, I will not strike you back, but I refuse to step back. So let's get back to the main idea, this Jesus moving people on from, an, from a world where it's external conformance to the law to internal transformation of the heart. This is the essential change from the old agreement to the new agreement, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so Jesus says, doesn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount, if you can take my teachings on board, if you can get this, then you will be like salt in the world, bringing out the goodness, bringing out the taste of other people around you. You will be like light in the world, shining into dark places. There are other examples that we haven't got time to get into. In the Sermon on the Mount, same sermon, Jesus says, for example, don't practice your gifts of righteousness, your gifts of charity in front of other people to tick the box off. Look, I've given to charity. Do it secretly. Your left hand shouldn't know what your right hand is doing. It says in Matthew chapter 7, don't judge others or they will judge you in the same way that you judge others. You will be judged. In other words, people in that day were, were judging other people's failure to keep the law. You haven't ticked the box and you haven't ticked that box and you haven't done that. Jesus says, actually, that's external conformance to the law. First of all, before you judge others, judge yourself. Get your own house in order. Get your own. If, if you, rather than saying, um, uh, let me take that speck out of my brother's eye, first take out the dirty great beam in your own eye. External conformance to the law, but Jesus brings those internal transformation of the heart. So let's recap, because we've covered a lot there, haven't we? And uh, we've been to different places in the Bible. Uh, let's start to bring it to a close. What I'm saying here is the Old Co Covenant, the Old Testament, wasn't somehow wrong or barbaric. It was written into a barbaric world, but it wasn't wrong. It actually was God's chosen means of speaking to humanity where they were, at the place where they were at. Or as one commentator says, the Old Covenant is like the moon in relationship to the New Covenant, which is like the sun. And the writer says, in the darkness of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was like the moon, the binding agreement was like the moon shining brightly and giving insight in a dark world to a holy and loving God. But this limited light is now eclipsed by the New Testament, 
the full intensity of God's son. S-O-N and S-U-N. And Jesus says, doesn't he, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says the same thing. He doesn't, he doesn't say, never says, the old, the old covenant, the old agreement is wrong. He actually says, don't think I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Don't think I've come to abolish the old covenant. I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come to fulfill them. I have come to complete them, to bring them to, to the natural conclusion where we were always headed. Hopefully you get that. And then let's just look again with that understanding at a few verses from here, from verse 9, this same chapter. Let me read these to you again. So this is the writer of the Hebrews, writing in the new covenant, in the new agreement, but quoting from the old covenant, the old agreement. It says it's not about rules anymore. It says it will not be like, the new covenant will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write them on their hearts, internal transformation of the heart. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbours or say to one another, know the Lord. They will all know me in their hearts, from the least to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And so by calling this covenant, this testament, new, he has made the first one obsolete. What is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So this new agreement, this new testament, it's a word that we still use in Will and Testament, isn't it? This new testament is not a new set of rules. It's a new way of living. It's inaugurated by the coming of Jesus. It starts with the forgiveness of all that we've done wrong. And it's about the internalization of faith rather than external rules. It's where the rules are written on our hearts in the minds and hearts of Christians. So lastly then, lastly, how do you introduce a new agreement? How do you bring people to a new agreement when they're all used to the old one? It's not easy. The old one was imperfect, had a lot of issues, a lot of rules that people kept breaking all the time. But people were used to it. And so how do you bring in a new agreement? Well, it wasn't easy. It, it wasn't easy for Jesus. Jesus went to a Roman cross to bring us that agreement. Example, let me give you an example though of where a new agreement replaces an old agreement and hopefully it's an example we can all relate to and it's the example of the marriage agreement. Now I know not everybody's married or you may have been married or you may be remarried but hopefully everybody understands the marriage agreement and this might help understand the nature of God's agreement with us, the new agreement, the new testament, the new covenant. Here's a comparison of uh, the marriage agreement on the left and God's new agreement on the right. So in the marriage agreement, we, we agree, we decide to forsake the past. It wasn't necessarily wrong, maybe it was in some cases, but we did believe there's a new and better way. And this new and better way requires commitment to a new relationship. Similarly, in the marriage agreement, we agree that there's a new and better way. The old was good in its time, it was fine, but now there's something better. In the marriage agreement, promises are made to each other based on a promise of faithfulness. And in God's new agreement, God makes a promise to us to be our God, and we make a promise to him to try to be faithful. We try to be faithful. 
to a God who can only be faithful. So promises are made on both sides. In the marriage agreement, that, that, the law, the agreement is written on our hearts. You don't go back into your drawer and get the certificate out and say, what exactly did we agree to? Was it for richer or poorer or richer or f- and fabulously rich? You know what you agreed to. It's written on your hearts when you got married. Similarly, God's new agreement is written on our hearts. We no longer re- need the book of 600 odd rules. In the marriage agreement, there, there are symbols. There's a symbol to represent the public, the public agreement. We exchange rings physically. And similar when we enter into marriage and similarly, when we enter into the new agreement with God, we take baptism, believers baptism to as a sign that we've actually turning from what we did to something new. And then lastly, in the marriage agreement, we continue faithfully, even when we don't feel like it. Sometimes this doesn't work. I know that. But we try to continue faithfully, even when we don't feel like it. There are days in our marriages when we don't feel in love. We don't feel like. Uh, being nice to each other but we commit to a narrative to a story that we both agreed to similarly in 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 the new agreement in the new testament that jesus brings sometimes we don't feel full of faith we don't feel like praying sometimes we go through bad times but we commit to a god who is there with us through all times we commit to that narrative to that story So here's the agreement. God offers you a binding agreement, a binding agreement today. Based on a committed relationship, he will be your God if you will be his people. If you want to be faithful to him and try to be faithful to him, he will transform your heart and your mind. He will give you your life purpose and meaning and direction. He will give it eternity. He will give our lives hope and he will forgive us what we have done and whatever we are. Whatever we are to do, he will also forgive. It's an offer today. This binding agreement with God is on offer today to you. And you can make this agreement. You can make it right now. I'm going to end this sermon with a short prayer. It's on the screen. Take a look at it now. And if you want to pray this with me, then please do. And then at the end, I'll just say how you can get in touch with us. So here's a prayer. If you wish to start this new agreement with God, then you say after me, Heavenly Father, we are a people who want to say yes to your agreement today. I want to say yes to invite you into my heart right now. Yes, to allow you to transform me. Yes, to become more like you. Yes, to be obedient to you. And yes, to follow you all my days. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. And so that was a a new covenant prayer. But let me end with an old covenant, an old agreement blessing to you. And so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and grant you peace. Today, this week, always. Amen.